Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. to drive me to Paris. I get the money, and I don't get hurt. That's a deal. Now, the government's top agent. I can't remember anything that happened before two weeks ago. Abija? Yes. Is about to become their number one target. What's in Paris? It's a name, Jason Bourne. Let's see if the Paris police can find him for us. And the only way he can survive... Talk a lot. ...is to find out who he is. I guess you're not home. Monsieur Bond! I don't recognize any of this. I don't recognize any of this. Before they find out... Get the address! I think I got it. In his. ...where he is. Get everybody up. I want them all activated. Do it now! What is it? Something wrong? We can't stay here. It's not safe. He's out of control very clear what needs to happen based on the international bestseller i don't want to know who i am anymore from universal pictures you got to get as far away from me as you can what are you gonna do danger i have everything they put inside me is everything i ever learned all of it was born i'm gonna make it stop the born identity Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to do the movie The Bourne Identity from 2002. The studio was Universal Pictures. The release date was June 14, 2002. The running time, 119 minutes. It was rated PG-13. The budget, $60 million. The box office took in $121 million domestic, making it the 21st-ranked movie of 2002. It took in an extra $92 million internationally. It was a huge hit. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 83% fresh from 193 reviews. They say, expertly blending genre formula with bursts of unexpected wit. The Born Identity is an action thriller that delivers, and then some. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 3 out of 4 stars. Here's his review. The Born Identity is a skillful action movie about a plot that exists only to support a skillful action movie. The entire story is a setup for the martial arts and chases. Because they are done well... Because the movie is well-crafted and acted, we give it a pass. Too bad it's not about something. Well, perhaps it is. Perhaps it is about an amoral climate in spy agencies like the CIA. There are no good guys in the movie, and certainly not the hero, played by Matt Damon, who is a trained assassin. And no bad guys either. Even the people who want to kill Damon are only doing their jobs. There comes a point in which we realize that there will be no higher level to the screenplay, no greater purpose than to expend this kinetic energy. The movie's brutally cynical happy ending reveals that it doesn't take itself seriously. 
and we catch on sooner than Marie, the girl that stays in the picture only because, well, there has to be a girl, to provide false suspense and give the loner hero somebody to talk to. I kind of enjoyed the born identity. I had to put my mind on hold, but I was able to. I'm less disturbed by action movies like this, which are frankly about nothing, than by action movies like Wind Talkers, which pretend to be about something and then cop out. Doug Lyman, the director of Bourne, directs the traffic well, gets a nice wintry look from his locations, absorbs us with the movie's spy craft, and uses Damon's ability to be focused and sincere. The movie is unnecessary, but not unskilled. And that's the end of Ebert's review. Now, if you've heard past Roger Ebert reviews about action films, this shouldn't come as a surprise, especially action films he reviewed in the 80s. In any case, he definitely liked this film more than disliked it. And I would have been curious about his take on the original novel. Okay, let's get into the main cast. So Matt Damon plays Jason Bourne. At this point, Damon was just on the brink of becoming a superstar. And The Bourne Identity was the film that did it. Not that he wasn't popular prior to this, but there's always one film that becomes the It film. Prior to Bourne, his most well-known films starting in the early 90s were School Ties with Brendan Fraser, The Rainmaker, which was a John Grisham adaptation, Goodwill Hunting, Saving Private Ryan, Rounders, Dogma, The Talented Mr. Ripley, and Ocean's Eleven. Franca Patente plays Marie. Now, I first covered Patente in the excellent thriller Run, Lola, Run, which came out in 1998 and released in Germany. Now, I saw it on video after The Born Identity came out. And Patente's first English-speaking film was in the movie Blow from the year 2000 with Johnny Depp. And then she was in 2001 Storytelling. Born would be her most popular film. There's also a terrific supporting cast, which features Chris Cooper, Brian Cox, Clive Owen, and Julia Stiles. Cox and Styles would have bigger roles in future Bourne films. The director, Doug Lyman. Now, I briefly covered Lyman's career in the Mr. and Mrs. Smith episode. Lyman was on the rise with his film Swingers with Vince Vaughn and John Favreau, and then the very fun Go from 1999. Bourne would be his biggest hit. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So author Robert Lundlum was quoted as saying he wrote about things that bothered him. And one of these subjects was fanaticism and whatever over-the-top fanaticism it may be. And in the case of The Born Identity, it was the power of one government's agency going too far. And if you think about the Jason Bourne character, in every mission he goes into, he's always the reluctant hero. He's doing the mission because he's forced into it, because some greater evil has forced his hand. Now, Ludlum began as an actor, often doing voice work, but he wasn't making living at it. He was very creative and had an idea to have a stage theater at a shopping mall, which he ran in New Jersey for 10 years during the 1960s. However, the popularity of television at the time cut into how many people would actually come to the theater. He decided to take his last shot to make it in the entertainment business before giving it all up to become a teacher, and that was to become a novelist at the age of 40. In 1971, he published his first thriller novel called The Scarletti Inheritance, and the title sequence of the three-word title became a staple of his career, The Something Something. And from that point on, he released at least one book a year through the early 1980s. Then it became every two years until his death in 2001. Ludlum would write all of his novels in long form on yellow legal pads. He would send the pages to his secretary who would type them out and send them back to him until the novel was finished. Now, there were always rumors that Ludlum himself had ties to the CIA or, and or the FBI which he always denied, but sometimes the rumors are a good thing and would be used to 
publicity advantage of his writing, especially the conspiracies. He would love to travel around the world with his wife, and he would take countless photos of the places he went. He would then use these photos and his memories about writing about these places in his novels. He also used his theatrical background when writing, knowing that he always had to move his stories forward. You had to build to that payoff and satisfy the reader. Now, this may sound obvious, but for many writers in certain novels, it isn't the case. And Laudlum was one of the first best-selling authors to write about terrorists as we now know them. Ludlum was fascinated by the aftermath of World War II in the countries like Switzerland, where all the hidden money and secret documents were being held. Ludlum was also a Marine veteran, and these traits would all factor into his novels, including The Born Identity, which was based on Ludlum's brief experience with temporary amnesia, where he could not remember 12 hours of his life. Now, speaking of the character name of Jason Bourne, it's a brilliant name as you come to find out, because the character itself is often reborn with every adventure. The Born Identity novel was released in 1980, and Ludlum didn't start out to make a trilogy based on this Born character. Ludlum felt if he used up the character correctly in the first time around, there was no need for a sequel. However, there was tons of fan mail and audience outpour after the success of the first Born novel. But this did not sway Ludlum to rethink his initial beliefs and write a sequel, at least not yet. However, while working on two separate novels, his creative juices came up with an idea for another Bourne novel, but he refused to call it a sequel. That became the Bourne Supremacy in 1986. And then the same thing happened four years later with a final Bourne novel, not a sequel, mind you, called The Bourne Ultimatum, 1990. After Ludlum died in 2001, his friend... Eric Van Lusbader continued the Bourne character in novel form, and he did that from 2004 until 2020, and he wrote 11 Bourne novels. Robert Ludlum now has a Ludlum brand, in which different authors write novels using the characters he created, kind of like working for a writing corporation. Before he died, Ludlum and his agent were approached about turning the Bourne identity into a feature-length film. However, none of these offers were to Ludlum's liking, and he wanted more creative control over his character. And rightfully so. He was in the position of not really needing to financially whore out his character to Hollywood. But in 1983, Universal had planned to make this movie with Burt Reynolds as Jason Bourne, and then have Jack Clayton as the director. But due to Burt Reynolds' busy schedule, that movie stalled and of course was never made. In 1988, The Bourne Identity was released as a TV miniseries with Richard Chamberlain, but it wasn't completely what Ludlum envisioned. Ludlum's agent continued to pursue the right film route, which eventually ended up in the hands of director and producer Doug Lyman, who was a big fan of the novels and wanted to make a film adaptation of the original book. Lyman actually spent the weekend with Ludlum, who affectionately nicknamed Lyman as Hollywood, and also... To connect the material with Lyman, Lyman's father was a special prosecutor on the Iran-Contra hearings in the 1980s, which ties into the theory of an uncontrolled agency like the CIA's portrayal in the film, and of course, in real life as well. The filmmakers were incredibly happy to land Matt Damon in the lead role as Bourne, as they felt he embodied the light and heavy characteristics needed to play Jason Bourne. He could move in the world and be invisible. Damon does not look like a trained assassin. He's very unassuming in his mannerisms, which is pretty much how Ludlum wrote the character, a character that could evolve with a story arc. Sadly, Ludlum died before he could see the success of the film globally. Doug Lyman and the screenwriters did a terrific job balancing the foundation that Ludlum created, but then modernizing the film adaptation for audiences in 2002. Also, the film has a very independent vibe, mostly due to being filmed almost entirely in Paris. This was quite cool for a big-budget film. 
And also having Franca Patente, a German actress, also help with the indie vibe, as she's the perfect Marie. Okay, let's get into the film. So it begins on a dark, stormy night, as we see a small ship sailing in the Mediterranean Sea, 60 miles south of Marseille. The crew on the ship are playing cards. However, one of the men sees a floating body in the sea. They take the body onto the boat, believing it's dead, but it's not. Of course, it's Jason Bourne, played by Matt Damon. Now, originally the film was going to be shot as a flashback involving two deleted scenes that bookend the film, but I'm glad they didn't continue with that route. Now, I don't know if the crew employed a doctor, but a man with a scalpel in his medical-looking bag cuts open Bourne's wetsuit and discovers two precise gunshot wounds to his back, directly where his shoulder blades are. He carves out the bullets with no anesthetic. He also removes a tiny metal object the size of a pill from Bourne's hip. The metal object shines a red light, almost like a laser pointer, which, held up to a wall, reads a string of numbers and the name of a bank in Zurich, Switzerland. In the book, since it was written almost 20 years prior, it was actually a piece of microfilm in Bourne's hip. The doctor goes back into the room, and Bourne is missing. What the hell are you doing to me? No, no, Salva. No, Salva, no, 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 What are you doing? God damn it, where am I? A boat. A fishing boat. You were in the water. We pulled you out. What water? You were shot. See, there are the bullets. Oh. Look, there is a number for a bank. Why was it in your hip? Hip? Why was it in your hip? Yeah, in your hip, under the skin. Oh, God. Yeah? You need to rest. Wait, please, slow down. I'm a friend. I'm your friend. Huh? My name is Giancarlo. Who are you? What's your name? What's your name? I don't know. Oh, God. Next, we are taken to CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia, where we get a cryptic scene, and all that's said is that the mission has failed. We then go back onto the boat where Jason Bourne is working with the fisherman crew. Bourne has no idea who he is, but he knows how to speak French and can do all sorts of things by instinct, but he doesn't know why or how these things are happening. Bourne is dropped off to the shore in Italy and then takes a train to Zurich, still not knowing who he is. However, the chip with the numbers on it is for a safety deposit box. Bourne falls asleep on a park bench at night and is questioned by two officers. Magically, not only does Bourne understand the Swiss language, which sounds like German, but can also speak it. And also by instinct, when threatened with the officer's nightstick, he can disarm and knock out the two officers with very little effort. Shocked by what he just did, he runs off. Back at the CIA, two men discuss how the operative, Jason Bourne, was supposed to eliminate an African dictator, but they lost contact with the operative. The two men discussing this are Alexander Conklin, Chris Cooper, and Ward Abbott, Brian Cox. Abbott is the deputy director of the CIA. Conklin is the head of the special black ops unit called Treadstone. Treadstone was created for the film based on Lyman's father's memoirs, who I mentioned in the making of the film portion of this episode. Much of Conklin's character was based on Oliver North, per the Iran-Contra hearings. So Bourne arrives at the bank in Zurich and is taken to his safety deposit box. When he opens the box, he finds a passport with the name Jason Bourne on it. He now knows his name and that he lives in Paris. He also finds a gun and various other passports with different names on them, all with his picture, along with lots of cash from different countries. He takes out all the cash but leaves the gun in the box. He asks the attendant the last time he visited the bank. 
and the attendant says he's not sure, but probably three weeks back. Bourne knows he's being followed, and then goes to the American consulate to evade the tale. However, as he's about to be apprehended by the consulate's guards, his defensive instincts take over and he wipes out everyone, without the use of even weapons. He expertly takes a radio off one of the guards and then steals the building evacuation map to get out of the consulate, all while the armed military men are on the hunt for him. So Bourne ends up on the top floor outside the building and climbs down a makeshift fire escape. However, he's almost like Spider-Man with his wall-scaling skills, as you find out Bourne is very much like a superhero with all of these attributes. So Matt Damon actually climbed down the last 30 feet of the building himself without a stunt double. He called it the most grueling thing he had to do on the film. So Conklin is now aware that Bourne has emptied the contents of his safety deposit box. Bourne, after escaping the consulate, runs into a woman, Franca Potente, outside, who he remembered as having some difficulty with her visa just a few minutes earlier inside the consulate. What are you looking at? I heard you inside. What? The consulate. I heard you talking. I thought maybe we could help each other. How's that? You need money. I need a ride. Out of here. I'm not running a car service just now, thank you. I'll give you $10,000 to drive me to Paris. What is this, a joke? Some kind of scam? No, it's no scam. <laughs> and I'll give you another 10 when we get there. That for you? Look, you drive, I pay, it's that simple. Scheiße. I got enough trouble, okay? Okay. Can I have my money back? Go, keep going. Go. There, wait. No, it's gotta be near the end. Oh, come on, folks. We caught a break here. Let's go. Okay, I'm up. We're getting grids. Airline, train, hotel. Did we get the address, the street? Get in sight. There we go. I got it. I think I got it. Is it him? Unreal. This is 38 minutes ago. Hey, Zerg police are looking for an American man carrying a red bank bag. He just tore up the embassy and he put two cops on the hospital last night. Get everybody up. Do it now. I want them all activated. Wait, all of them at the same time? You heard me. I want born in a body bag by sundown. All right, let's get a map up here. Come on, folks. Work it. Now, the last voice you heard was Conklin. Obviously, Bourne is now considered a rogue agent and needs to be terminated. And top agents across Europe are now activated to take out Bourne. In the meantime, the woman Marie and Bourne make small talk in the car on the way to Paris. Marie is nervous and talks a lot, but Bourne doesn't mind. He reveals to her that he remembers nothing prior to the last two weeks. It's like amnesia. The CIA, through surveillance footage around the American consulate, know that Bourne has hitched a ride with Marie through the license plate of her car. She's German, but has lived life as a nomad while traveling around Europe. This is a red flag to the CIA, as she's a wild card, with nothing seemingly to lose, and she's traveling around with a very dangerous person who doesn't know what he's capable of. Marie and Bourne stop at a gas station and discuss more about what little Bourne knows about himself. 
I'm not making this up. These are real. Who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun? Who has a bank account number in their hip? I come in here, and the first thing I'm doing is I'm catching the sight lines and looking for an exit. I see the exit sign too, I'm not worried. I mean, you were shot. People do all kinds of weird and amazing stuff when they're scared. I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? Marie and Bourne arrive at his Paris address that was listed on his passport. The apartment is very nice, but very sterile, like nobody's lived in it. While Marie is freshening up in the bathroom, Bourne decides to dial the last number from his house phone. The number goes to a hotel. He asks if they had any guests named Jason Bourne. They had not. He then asks another name from one of his passports he found from a safety deposit box. The name John Michael Kane did stay there, but was killed two weeks prior. Immediately, Bourne realizes something is wrong, like there's another person in the house besides him and Marie. Of course, his instincts are correct, and one of Treadstone's assassins crashes through the window with a machine gun. If you haven't seen this film, the fight scenes are incredibly well done. They're not overloaded with slow motion nonsense, which newer films are so bogged down by. They're fast, incredibly tightly shot, and fabulous to watch. Ever resourceful, Bourne ends up disarming the man with a pen. Bourne then throws the man's bag to Marie and tells her to find out what's in it. Open that. Open that. Tell me what's inside. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Give me a Oh my god. Uh, oh. Who are you? He's got my picture. Right, this is so exist. No, 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 no. I don't live. How? Where do you get this? Where do you get this from? 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 I'll do this. I'll do this. You stay there. Stay there. The assassin, instead of waiting around, crashes through the apartment window and kills himself. Marie, horrified, is unsure what to do, and woozily goes with Bourne to get out of the neighborhood. Bourne stops at a bus station to drop off his belongings in a locker. Bourne then tries to get Marie to go to the police and tell them everything, but she's not confident that's the best thing to do, since her picture was on a printout from the assassin. She feels somewhat safer with Bourne than by herself. This leads to a terrific high-speed car chase in her Mini Cooper throughout the streets and sidewalks of Paris. A very old-school action, which I love. Bourne, of course, is an expert driver and evades the police, because of course he is. 
Meanwhile, at a morgue in Paris, the African dictator named Wambozi, that Bourne was supposed to take out for Treadstone, discovers that the body of John Michael Caine is not the man who they believe to have been killed, so not Bourne. Wambozi says he will spill secrets to the CIA. Marie and Bourne stay at the hotel in Paris, and Bourne instructs Marie to change her hair color, along with cutting it short. Not only could Bourne do everything, he's also an amazingly good hairstylist, too, in the pinch. They also end up sleeping together. You know, a high-speed car chase has that effect on people. Another CIA assassin, Clive Owen, ends up taking out Wambozi per Conklin, not wanting Wambozi to talk to the press. Marie and Bourne then go to the hotel that Bourne called when he was at his apartment. Bourne and Marie scope out the lobby of the hotel in order for him to evaluate how to find out more about his previous alias of John Michael Kane. However, Marie has some skills of her own, and without Bourne, ends up getting the records of Kane from the hotel clerk, who was flirting with her, and she said that she was Mr. Kane's personal assistant. Way to go, Marie. Back at CIA headquarters, Conklin tells Director Abbott that Bourne was responsible for the assassination of Wambozi. This, of course, is false, but it's all being set up by Conklin in order to have more evidence to validate killing Bourne. Conklin frames it as Bourne is just following protocol from his alternate alias and therefore will return to the CIA like nothing happened. Right. Marie and Bourne then find out about the morgue that supposedly had Kane's body. Bourne bribes the morgue attendant to see the body of Kane, but when the compartment is opened, the body is nowhere to be found. Another attendant claimed that Kane's brother picked up the body the day before. So Bourne steals the sign-in sheet for the morgue and discovers that Wambozi visited the morgue. Bourne also ties in the fact that Kane has records of a yacht deal involving Wambozi. Bourne is starting to figure out that there's a connection between Wambozi and him. When Bourne and Marie try to visit where Wambozi is staying, they find tons of police cars and that Wambozi has been killed. Marie and Bourne buy a newspaper, which has an article which said that Wambozi reported three weeks prior of an assassination attempt on him, in which his guards shot and killed a man, attempting to kill him on his yacht by shooting him twice in the back. Of course, that man would have been Kane slash Jason Bourne. Bourne now knows he's an assassin. All right, this is a good time to stop because I've set up everything nicely for you and, and there's plenty left in the film if you haven't already seen it. There's about 45 minutes left. So will Jason Bourne figure out exactly who he is and who he really works for? And will Conklin's ruse be discovered? How does Marie fit into all of this? This is obviously a very well done action film that led to a very successful franchise. So if you still haven't seen the original film and you enjoy action espionage flicks, this is one of the better ones in the past 20 years. It's also great to watch as the boring character figures out who he is, as the audience is following along at the same time. They are not one step ahead of him for the most part, unlike other films in the same genre. All right, some fun facts. There were, of course, other actors considered to play Jason Bourne. That includes Brad Pitt, he did Spy Game instead, Russell Crowe, Tom Cruise, Matthew McConaughey, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Sylvester Stallone. So Matt Damon trained in the Filipino martial arts of Kali for the movie. Kali involves using the aggressor's energy against him and conserving your own energy. Matt Damon was surprised when he was offered the role because in the book, Bourne is a much older man. And he was quoted of saying that Doug Lyman told me he didn't want to do James Bond. He saw it more as a European Nikita. During production, Universal constantly sent memos to Doug Lyman after viewing dailies. One such memo urged Lyman to consider using a montage, accompanied by suitable wrap-up music to introduce the final act, like those Tony Scott movies. Lyman sent the studio a message back, letting them know if 
that's the ending they wanted, maybe they should hire Tony Scott to film it. All right, here are some of the differences between the film and the novel. In the novel, Jason Bourne does not recover from his injuries on the ship. He actually spends months at the coast with an alcoholic doctor who performs multiple surgeries on him. Also, Jason's deposit box does not contain cash and a gun, and he opens it in the presence of a high-level bank employee. After this, Jason is then attacked in the bank by professional assassins. Marie also plays a more important role in the novel, where she is a Canadian economics analyst named Marie St. Jacques, not a German gypsy. All right, as I said, you should definitely check it out. And two people who really enjoy this movie are regulars on this podcast. So let's talk to Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock podcast, also Podcast Rock City, and Bill Roseberry, who always has a lot of great things to say. And we'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie, unless I'm taken out by the special ops from my DVD collection. Hello, it's me again. Looks like the Special Forces did do something because I forgot that DJ Metal Mike Tyler joined his buddy Bill Roseberry on this episode. So how could I forget DJ Metal Mike Tyler? He's my buddy. Anyway, sorry about that, but I, I made up for it. There you go, as you were. Okay, we're back with the dynamic duo of DJ Metal Mike Tyler and Bill Roseberry. And of course, you can hear both of them on the Metal Mike Show every Friday night on ThatMetalStation.com starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back, guys. How's it going, Ron? man. Oh, sorry, Bill. Nope. No, I I was hoping you'd do it exactly at the same time. You mind melded and it was great. So (laughs) no no need to edit. Um, Before we had talked, uh, getting into this interview, Bill had mentioned that he actually read the original novel of The Bourne Identity written by Robert Ludlum. Um, So we'll just get right into it. I'll start with Bill. What were the major differences that you recognize between the book and the film? Um, Time frame would be the big (laughs) one. The book was written... In the early seventies, actually, I actually went and grabbed the book out of the uh, out of my room. I think it was written about seventy two, or, or no, maybe it's later than that, but eighty. It was written in eighty. So, mm-hmm. and the movie came out in two thousand and two. So, Jason Bourne had been a CIA operative in um, the Vietnam War in the book in the book The Bourne Identity. So he's a little bit older, obviously, and and um, it's kind of along that that time frame and they it's it's pretty different from the movie i mean other than the fact yeah he was a cia operative and he he had amnesia the beginning of the movie and the beginning of the book start out exactly the same but it gets pretty different from there and you actually learn more about the jason Bourne character in the book i don't know by now i would think most people have seen the movies you know that jason Bourne was his operative name that's not his real name um, his, his real name is, uh, is, is David Webb and mm-hmm. they, you don't learn that in the movie series until the born ultimatum, you know, by the end of the born identity that he's David Webb, he, he knows that he's David Webb. Um, they actually have him in some kind of a Island treatment center or whatever, where they're, they're, uh, working with him to bring him back. And that was at the end of the first, I mean, it's just really, really different. He's back with the CIA by the, by the end of this book, get some treatment. Well, that's the thing about novels. A lot of times you definitely have more, uh, opportunity to do some character development, some backstory where, you know, with a film, you, you only have so much time. Mike, have you read the book or any of the, the other books that uh, came out about Bourne? Can't say as I have, um, no, okay. I have not. No. And was this the only one that you read, Bill, or did you read the sequels? 
no, this is the only one I've read. And I just read it recently. My, uh, my grandma had them. And when she passed, we were going through, she was an avid reader. She had them. And when we were going through, I, I picked them out. I do have, um, the born supremacy and the born ultimatum. I just haven't read them yet. They're very long books. And to be honest, they're kind of clunky. Like it took me quite a while to read through this. I'm kind of a slow reader anyway, but it was a slow read. You know, I'm a big, I love like John Grisham and, and um, I'm trying to think some other good fiction writers. Uh, Grisham's probably about my favorite um, fiction Mm -hmm. writer. And I mean, he's just so easy to read. You can just, roll through it i've had i've read some harlan coben books i I really like the way he writes too but ludlam it's a little little clunky there's a lot going on and and it takes a while to get to 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 where he's wanting to go and everything and the the movies are so much better more so much more action-packed and 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 tighter to the point yeah i mean yeah Mm -hmm. the, the books are they've they really did a good job of of taking and condensing it for the movie because I think I actually think in this situation, which most of the time I would not say this where I think the movie is better than the book. But in this instance, I do think that the, the movie born identity is better than the book. That's not to take away what the, the universe that Ludlum built and, and the character that he built, which is badass because it's how they got him for the movie. But I mean, he takes a long, it, I mean, this book is 700 pages or something like that. Yeah. I mean, big book. So, so uh, I'm going to stick with Mike on this one. So Matt Damon's been a number of good films. And, and I'd say with the exception of maybe Goodwill Hunting, I would say Bourne in the Bourne series is, is probably what he's going to be best known for. What do you think? I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And, you know, we share the same birthday, same day and everything. Same year. There you go. I'm a big Matt Damon fan. I like a lot of his work and I think Uh he's a tremendous actor. How about you, Bill? What do you think? Do you think this is what he's going to be best known for? Yes. And I was blown away when he did this because you got to remember in 2002, he had done quite a bit. I mean, he was, he was pretty much a household name, obviously done goodwill hunting and him and him and Ben had won Academy Awards for the writing for that. And he didn't, he'd done a few other things. I really loved, uh, Loved him in school ties. He was such a dick in that. But that, oh, he was. Yes, he was. That I love with him. You know, he'd been in a lot of stuff, but he hadn't done the action movie yet. He, you know, and and so seeing him and because uh, I think he'd even done the talented Mr. Ripley before two thousand and two. I, I might be wrong, but he did right. more stuff like that. And then to see him come out in an action film, I was like, hmm, how's this going to work? And I mean, he killed it. I mean, you're right. I, to me, as much as I love Goodwill Hunting, I mean, to me, Jason Bourne is his his epic character. I mean, it really yeah. is. I mean, he he's really done. I I look forward to these. I I started after I watched his first one. I think I might have seen all the rest of them in the movie theater. Speaking, that's a great transition, actually. So w- when this first came out to the theaters, were you guys both initially excited about the film and rushed out to see it? Or was it word of mouth and you waited a little bit? How about you, Bill? It was word of mouth. Uh, his ex-girlfriend and I were just having a movie night in and got it on DVD and watched it at the house. And we were both just completely captivated by it the whole time. We just fell in love with it. And I, I wanted more, you know, and that's why mm-hmm. I said from that point on, when when the born ultimatum came out, or, or the born born legacy, and then born ultimatum, and uh, um, all the uh, 
Born Supremacy and all that, those, I was on board to go go see all of them. Born right. Legacy, not even a Jason Bourne. That's in the series, but that's the one that has Jeremy Renner in it. So Correct. That's right. Yeah. How about, how about you, Mike? Were you excited? Actually, first? Um, yeah. I didn't. I, I was kind of like, it's weird because I remember the, bu- it, you know, believe it or not, there was an internet back then. And the internet buzz was like, Matt Damon in an action film. Is he going to be able to pull this off? So Bill wasn't the only one. There was a lot of people that was like, but my dad was interested in it just from the previews. And he's like, hey, let's go see this movie. So I was like, OK, Pop, you know, mm-hmm. and I was just blown away. So I saw Born Identity in the theaters, and 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 my dad and I both loved it. And one of the reasons why we liked it as well is not only is it a good action flick, but it's a smart action flick. Sometimes yes. action flicks have a tendency to get dumbed down. Like, you know, you beat the bad guy, you take the gun from him, and then you leave the gun behind. Who would do that in real life? Shit <laughs> like that just bugs the hell out of me, man. I can't help it. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, come on now. Um, well, you don't see any yeah. of that in Born Identity. Correct. It's very, it, it, and like Bill said, the pacing of the film and the acting, the performance, and just the choreography, the fight scenes. I mean, when he takes that pin and starts stabbing the <laughs> other dude with it, was so intense and just so awesome. Yeah, I loved it, and I've I've enjoyed all the Born films. And I say this before, and I said it again. If you don't have Jason Bourne, you don't get the Bourne identity, you don't get Casino Royale and the Daniel Craig James Bond, which I think overall has been fantastic. So, hey, man, yeah. you know, tips to Matt Damon and the people that made those films because uh, <laughs> yeah, they did a great job. That's totally fair. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say one thing to kind of piggyback on Mike there, too. That I think the, the intelligence of the movie does come from the, the, the character development in the book. He's very... He's a very detailed character in the book, too, and extremely intelligent. In just the same way that that Matt Damon in the movie just can kind of do things, and it confuses him, and he doesn't understand, and he gets angry, and and he's dealing with all that. It's the same way in the book. I mean, he he could do everything, you know. What I mean, and and it's it is very detailed and down to where they're not they're not going to do anything like what you said mike or leave a gun behind after they (laughs) right it's you know it's very detailed and and precise on how they're doing things so so i'm glad mike brought up the plot because one of my questions is one of the drawbacks of like these espionage type movies is the potential of convoluted plots so do you think born kind of avoids this this sort of pitfall. So what do, you, what do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, I found it easy to follow. I didn't think it was convoluted at all, man. I, I loved it. I love the fact that even though he had amnesia and couldn't remember who he was, he still was able to... And that that is possible. I mean, there's been people who have amnesia, but they still know how to drive. They still know how to do certain things. You know what I mean? I, I loved that. Like when he's in the park and those cops are hassling him and he just straight up opens up a can of whoop hats on him. And even <laughs> he has the look on his face like, how did I do that? I love that, man. That You know, this was a guy who'd obviously been trained, special forces, Jason Bourne. I mean, he's, he's an assassin, basically, is what he is. He just works for the government. That's all. And uh, right. Yeah, I I loved it, and I don't think I don't I never found any of the the born like they never got. I think all those sequels are good. They never got stupid with it. In my in my opinion, I think they're all good. Even the one with Jeremy Renner and the whole idea that there's more than one of them, which obviously we knew that because a lot of the people they're sending after Jason 
or people in the same program. Like that's right. Clive Owen when he says, "Do you have headaches?" I love that man. It was <laughs> like, it was just a really cool movie. I liked it a lot, man. Well, what do you think, Bill? Do you think they avoided that that sort of pitfall? Oh yeah, um, yeah, they did. Uh, I think, and what I liked about the movies compared to the book, like I thought it was cool that that you could still go on to the next movie and you're still trying to figure things out with him like he hadn't come back you know it goes into the third movie before you find out his real name and all that stuff like i said they came to that quicker in the the book the whole story behind treadstone too you're just learning the tip you know tip of the iceberg on on treadstone in this movie sure. too. it left you wanting more and it wasn't anything where where you were ever tired of it i mean like i said when i w- watched the end of that i was like god i hope they do more of these and mm-hmm. that's Really, when I went back and started learning about Robert Ludlum a little bit, you know, yeah, uh, I didn't know anything. I mean, at that time, I was in my early twenties, you know, and and uh, early mid twenties, and I I didn't know who Robert Ludlum was, and and I just saw this movie and just thought it was interesting and wanted to check it out. I didn't know anything about the story at all until that point. Stick with Bill for this one. Uh, what, from the latest viewing, you just guys just watched this about a week ago. What, what's your latest? You know takeaway from the latest viewing was there anything new that you picked up i think the one thing now as i as i watch it and it, and it bothers me in, in a little bit and it's you wouldn't know it unless you watch the rest of the the uh the series the rest of the series and kind of know but julia styles never really <laughs> doesn't have much of a reaction to him no at all, like nothing to to even give you a little Easter egg that of what what's to come. She was his love interest. I mean, that was something that I think now, as I look back on it, I think they should have done because they knew what they were going to do. I would hope with the movie. So with the movies, so I mean, they should have made her maybe a little bit more have a little bit more emotion when he comes into that room and she sees him because obviously he doesn't know who she is, but. No, uh, we are talking about Julia Stiles, Bill. Yeah, that kind of has the same Ever. face no matter what. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of me. That, that is me. true. I'm sorry, I, Mike. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said. Yeah. I'm sorry Julia, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say too. The other thing is, you know, I like I said, as much as watching his story was cool, the development of the Treadstone was cool, and sure. seeing how far up that went in the book. There's people in the the presidential cabinet that have things to do with treadstone and i think you eventually get to that point in the movies too but i mean it was pretty deep running within the the government was was treadstone so almost like mafia type stuff the way they do stuff in the book even you Mm -hmm. know and and i feel kind of like where they they'd off people that were trying to figure out what was going on and i i always thought that was interesting too so well i think that's good i mean they, they kept you wanting more as you said and so i don't think they knew with this you know they had tried this as a mini series on television and it didn't really take off so if this yeah. failed there wouldn't have been other born movies so i think the action part and the terrific action uh was was a key part to this being successful I didn't so know like there was a- TV miniseries. Yeah. That's interesting. I did not. Okay. Yeah. To piggyback on what Bill said, I, I kind of, yeah, definitely as we were rewatching it, we both kind of said the same thing. We're like, man, you'd think if the girl was intimate, she would have had much more of a um, visceral reaction. Sure. Uh, but again, that's kind of because who knows? Maybe they knew they were going in that direction. Maybe they didn't because nobody knew for sure if this movie was going to be the hit that it became, you know, 
I mean, you know how it is with Hollywood. A lot of times you make a film, it's kind of a crapshoot, really. Right. Sure. So, uh, you know, there, there's that. The one thing that I, I will say about it is I not so much notice anything new, but the thing that impressed me is how it still holds up. It doesn't feel dated when yeah. I watch it. It didn't no, feel dated at all. at all. It felt like something that could have been made today. And right. to me, that's a true testament to a great movie. When you watch a movie and you're like, wow, the dialogue, everything about it. You know, I got to be honest. At first, I, when you came up with the question, I said to myself, Shiza, because it was like, man, what am I going to say? You know, which I love that girl. She kept saying Shiza all the time. Yep. And I looked it up and I found out what Shiza actually means. I laughed. Um, um, yeah, it uh, it was a good movie. And that's one thing I thought was really cool is you get the happy ending but now that you know the sequels, you know what happens to the Scheiser girl, and it's quite sad. You know, I kind of liked yep. her. So, um, you know, it's like poor Jason. Uh, but, yeah, great, great, great film series and just a fantastic movie. And I do remember just leaving the theater going, wow, man, that was – I don't want to say it was ahead of its time, but it kind of was. And, and it definitely did change the game, I think, for action films. Like I said, I don't think you get Daniel Craig, James Bond without it, man. And that well, was a good thing, too. Oh, definitely. And it doesn't feel like a Hollywood film. I think part of that is having uh, uh, Marie or Franca Potente, you know, as the as the lead, because she isn't like this Hollywood actress uh, mm -hmm. at the time. So, yeah. So that's where you definitely have that kind of international European vibe of Bourne, which definitely, yeah. uh, you know, translates to to uh, James Bond. Yeah. To wrap up, where does this film, where's the first film rank in the entire series for you? And so we'll we'll, we'll go with Mike on this one. I think it's the best one. I mean, I enjoyed all the other ones. I thought they were all really good. But to me, yeah, this is the best film. Okay. How about you, Bill? Yeah, I'd probably say overall this one's the best. Um, boy, I, I really liked the last one, too, the mm -hmm. one where they ended up in Las Vegas. Uh, but, um, I mean, I like them all. I mean, I can't – I'm not going to – there's not a one of them that I dislike, but I'd still – kind of sad like like this one uh, uh the best i was gonna bring up one other thing sure from go ahead book too that i was thinking about as we were talking is is we talked about marie there a little bit so that's another thing that i like better in the movie than in the book because there's not really a violent exchange with him and her in the movie you know he offers her money mm -hmm. he rides with her and she kind of organically becomes part of this. She's kind of a drifter, doesn't have a whole lot going for herself anyway. In the book, her character is like a Canadian diplomat. And he is, Jason, trying to learn information about himself. And he ends up kidnapping her. Mm. I mean, and he's in a firefight at the, actually like grabs her and, and kidnaps her by gunpoint. And he keeps her, I think he puts her in the trunk and he, it's a lot more violent and it, you know, obviously it takes her a while to come around to him, but eventually they get to the same point. She realizes, you know, he threatens her a lot. He ties her up. He makes her think that he's going to hurt her. He mm -hmm. never has any intentions to, but I just thought I was glad that they did it more this way in the movie than I didn't really. Wait like a minute. That. You mean the girl fell in love with the bad boy? The yeah. The guy say. that kidnapped her. Yeah. Like that ever happens in real life. Yeah. Well, I think Damon probably softened the role a little bit just by his own personality. And that's, I think, where, um, you know, a certain actor brings something that is beyond what is, you know, the dialogue on the page. You have a certain um, you know, bravado uh, to right. your character. So, again, thank you guys for doing this. And uh, I know you're going to be on again real soon, whether it be together <laughs> or 
separate doesn't matter because you guys are always the best and you of course can hear them both on the metal mike show every friday night at 8 p.m eastern time on thatmetalstation.com thank you again guys thanks well, brian thanks for having us man okay we're back with sunny pooney from the grown-up rock podcast and podcast rock city welcome back sunny good to be back see i identify with born because there's a lot of things i don't remember but it was because of jack daniels not because i got <laughs> shot uh wait do you seem like the the man of mystery you would have enjoyed being in the in the cia or fbi you know fbi or some sort of espionage type thing did you ever consider doing something in uh law enforcement or you know like this uh no i didn't i was too young when i got out of high school so it just didn't you know i was thinking rock star i wasn't thinking this okay now if i grow up maybe 10 years later i most likely want to do this Right. I don't know if I could have pulled it off anyway. I'm a big fat guy. Those guys can't be sneaky. You know what I mean? But you could have done the behind the scenes stuff because I know you really like solving mysteries and things like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like the puzzles. I mean, I, I absolutely love this movie because of the way it's written. Like I want suspense, but I don't want <laughs> horror. I want mystery, but I don't want it to be scary. I want it to be fun, but mm-hmm. it doesn't always have to have a laugh track. Like, so I'm in this kind of weird spot. So when movies like this come, Hunt for Red October, right? When there's a little quip in there, man, I die laughing. And I'm the only guy laughing in the theater. Mm-hmm. Well, like which I'm is what, guy. yeah. And this is obviously, based, it's, it's adapted from a novel by Robert Ludlum. We've already established it. You, you didn't read it, so no, you're not going to. I'm not a reader. But, so was this a word of mouth film? Or did you see the trailer and immediately jump, you know, run to the theater when it was released? Uh, this was a uh, blockbuster type rental for me. Oh, okay. Because at the mm-hmm. time it came out, we had young kids. So we weren't really going into the theater. So, um, but I probably got it right as it released on uh, video. Okay, because this would have been a great one to see in the theater because of all the action. So I'm assuming after this, then the rest of the movies were the like a theater experience for you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love all the Bourne movies. So there okay. hasn't been a bad one yet. Okay, so. Matt Damon's, you know, he's been a number of great films, but I think character-wise, playing Jason Bourne, I think will forever be his most memorable role. What, what do you think? I love the movie Rounders, so okay. that's the memorable <laughs> role for me. That's just, you know, because I'm a card player. But sure, yeah, he will be identified as this, and he's kind of lucky because he's had three or four movies that it could be identified to, and this one seems to stick out the best because it probably sold the best. Right. Yeah, he's not typecast at all. Yeah, he, and he's lucky with that. He's definitely lucky. Uh, so the action, the fight scenes, the car chases, they're terrific. And they, for me, they always seem better than the lazy kind of CGI films of today. Like, these seem like real stunts. W- was it the pure action that initially drew you to the film, or was it the story? It was really the story. I okay. like the fact that he's sitting there and he knows everything that's going on. Um, because he's aware, completely aware of his surroundings. Cause that's how he's kind of trained. And that part of life has always intrigued me a little bit, right? Is this person is almost thinking and acting a level or two above everybody else in the room. Um, and you, we've seen the, you know, we've seen the, the Bruce Lee's and blah, blah, blah. People can kick people's ass and they're a level or two above, or that athlete that's a level or two above. But the guys that could do it like kind of with their mind and being trained, that seems more doable to a normal person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And plus it, the, the fact that he didn't even realize he could do all this stuff, like it just came natural. That was kind of a fun experience to watch. Yeah, I couldn't imagine just like, how do I know what I know? Like right. that would freak out, freak me the hell out. So often with these espionage films, 
plots can get really convoluted. How do you feel about the original Bourne film plot wise? And do you think it gets too complicated as the movies go forward or are they fine? And you, you know, they're easy to follow. They actually, to me, get complicated as the movies go forward. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've even tried. So let's take uh, uh, Nikki, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. So in later movies, we find out that he's a love. She's a love interest. Right. So I went back to this movie going, well, how come I don't see that at all here? Like, yeah. She is so cold to him. That it is dead. Like there's no, the phone call should have had some love in it. Right. Like, <laughs> you would think. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, well, did that just become an adaptation later? Right. And so when I, you know, kind of think about the movies that came later, I'm like, yeah, they got a little complicated. It was almost like they were trying too hard, but I've seen this movie the most out of all of them. So maybe that's why it makes more sense to me. How do you feel about memory loss films in general? Like, are, are they played out or, you know, are they still kind of like, it's a good plot point. It's, it's a, it's a good way to kind of, you know, move things forward or, do, you know, does Bourne like kind of take it to the next level? It's hard to be unique with it, but cause it's been done. Well, hell every generation 10 times over because it's the go-to thing. Right. So, mm-hmm. so I think it's hard to be unique. I think Bourne did a good job of it being unique. I don't like a ton of flashbacks. Right. Cause that gets odd after a while. Right. And then if there's going to be a flashback, I think I want it to where, you know how sometimes like the movie gets grainy and that's the flashback piece. They're not, there's not like this, you know, you go to dreamland and then there's, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. It's not like goofy that you have to be kind of be paying attention, right. To kind of figure it out. But this is, come on, this is dead on a movie. If you're going with somebody, they're like, oh, what just happened there? What happened? It's like, dude, shut up. Let me watch the movie. Right? So this is one of those movies that if you're not paying attention, you got to watch three, four times to really know everything that's going on. That's true. And it is it is a movie that bears repeat viewing just because of all that. And uh, so what are your takeaways from from your last viewing? Um, okay. So I actually, after seeing this movie, God, I don't know, 100 times, mm-hmm. I actually picked up something that I had not seen before the last time I watched it. So, okay. So when... Um, Bourne gets off the initial boat and there's a rickshaw that kind of goes by. I just thought he disappeared into the scene. I thought the whole point Mm. was the thing goes by and he just kind of disappears and they're trying to create this, Hey, he's got this thing that he can just kind of disappear into the night. I didn't realize he hung on to the rickshaw. (laughs) I just picked that up. I'm like, Oh my God, wait a second. I've never realized that. Right. So it's that kind of stuff that if you're not playing complete attention and it's got you kind of going one way, then you can kind of miss it. But that's probably the last thing I picked up. But man, I, this movie is one of those movies I can literally flip on a cable channel. It could be Mm -hmm. 32 minutes in and I know exactly where the movie is and I'll watch the rest of it. I don't have to watch it from beginning to end. Cause I know it's a well, uh, how would you rank this, um, in film in the series? You said you liked them all for me. They kind of all blend together just because I ha- I don't have as much history with them. I enjoy them all like you do. Um, but where would you rank this one in the, at least the four with, with Matt Damon and we can get into the Jeremy Renner one as well. Yeah. I would say this is the best of the four. Although mm-hmm. supremacy has better action, I think. Okay. than this one does, but, uh, that's just cause I think they, they, I think they realized they hit on the action scenes and they needed to keep going with that a little bit more because you've already told a born story. So like, you know, how much more can you tell of that? Right. And it's, it's kind of like the, what's going on with mission impossible. They just keep trying to get 
better and better and better. And then it be, almost becomes too much. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah. yeah, I don't know if uh, Bourne really falls in that pitfall, which is good. Yeah. I thought like the James Bond movies always did yeah. a good balance and they never got too much into our, right, it's gotta be all action. Yeah. But you're right. The mission impossible movies, like the last couple have been a tough watch for me. Yeah. And there's another one coming out soon. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's like, yep. dude, give it up. <laughs> so we're not you, James Bond. Just <laughs> uh, for okay. Well, we'll touch upon the Jeremy Renner one. Were you? Um, uh, did you like this film, or were you just like, why are they? Why did they stray? And obviously, this is a cash grab. But did, did you enjoy the Born Legacy with Jeremy Renner? Yeah, I thought he did a good job. Mm-hmm. I thought he did. You know, I thought that if they got the right person, you have to keep going, right? Uh, Bond kept going, and it was fine. There's uh, Bonds I like better than others. Sure. Um, Renner's never going to be Matt Damon, but I thought he did a good job with it because Renner, you got to have this kind of like this, um, you're sneaky talented, right? So you don't give off this, you're, you look like a model, you're built like mm-hmm. Bruce Lee and you kick somebody's ass. Like you got to be kind of a normal looking person. And Renner did that well in the superhero movies too, right? Sure. So he just, he can play the part. Were you surprised when they brought back Matt Damon for the the last installment in 2016? Uh, no, because Renner's probably didn't sell that well. Yeah, <laughs> that surprised me. <laughs> well, just on Matt Damon's side, because it's you know that's obviously I I don't know the backstory is why he, he dropped out of the third one, so I'll, I'll have to dig into that. But yeah, I, I was kind of like, oh, okay, well I'll go check this out then. <laughs> yeah. Well, you touched upon it. We'll wrap up as nothing to do with Bourne. But since you mentioned it, who is your favorite James Bond uh, actor? Oh, you're going to hate me. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. That's right. My, I wasn't going to be uh, Bronson. Yeah. My, Bronson. My, yeah. My James Bond is Pierce Bronson. And that's yeah. really because I was already watching Remington Steel. Right. 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 So to me, hell, Bruce Willis could have been James Bond because I was already watching Moonlighting. Mm-hmm. And he would have been my favorite James Bond. If I have to go second, it's Roger Moore. I, okay. I enjoyed some of those. Like when I went back, I enjoyed the Roger Moore movies better than I enjoyed the Conway movies. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, they wanted Brosnan uh, instead of Timothy Dalton, but he was doing Remington Steel. So that, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, as always, Sonny, thank you for doing this. And uh, we'll be talking again real soon. Yeah, definitely. Good time. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday, and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.